This is episode 98 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. My name's Andrew. And my name is Eli. Eli, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Tell me one thing in the past year that because of coronavirus, you were forced to do virtually and you enjoyed. (laughs) One thing I was forced to do virtually? Yeah, like something you wouldn't have done if you hadn't have been in quarantine, if the whole world hadn't moved onto the internet more than they were already. Well, uh, one thing that I was forced to do was to um, make a couple video ads for uh, a conference I was going to. And in order to do, to make it interesting, this is early COVID. So switching to zoom was still like, Oh darn, we're not going to meet in person. And I was worried that people weren't going to pony up and do it. So I did a video on which, um, two small angels appeared on my shoulders and both of them were me. And uh-huh. it was all video, so I was having this conversation with what was my left brain and my right brain. So myself I had to learn how myself. to <laughs> yes, how to do that. And like the right brain was like the left brain was like analytical and had these reasons. Right brain was like wearing ridiculous clothing, eating junk food, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I had this conversation. So that was sort of like a new thing that I was forced to do and enjoyed. Nice. <laughs> Is that awesome. what you're aiming how, for? How have I how have I not seen that yet? Right. Well, well you must have come. That's true. Um, still a little offended. Didn't get that invite. Uh, the reason I ask, Eli, is because I was really pleasantly surprised. Uh, it was during the summer that somehow, I don't know if this popped up on my YouTube feed or how I got connected to it, but a some kind of linguistic institute in Moscow, the yes. Higher School of Economics, they started launching uh, these weekly Zoom talks about linguistics in the North Caucasus languages. I remember these. And, uh, I mean, it's just really cool, this marriage of, like, this kind of really niche subject uh, on the one hand that maybe a lot of people don't have expertise in, but they made it accessible to people. Which Um, they probably wouldn't have done otherwise. Yeah, and uh, I just... I wanted to, first of all, I want to commend them for doing that um, because it, yeah, like I said, it it makes the region more accessible to the Mm -hmm. common peoples in English language. Uh, I was really excited about it. The first video they launched on YouTube was called Language Size, Multilingualism, and Marriage Patterns in Dagestan. So I was like, oh, that's like, a lot of people could be interested in that. Um, I think people would like that. Pretty much after that, like, they kind of lost me a little bit with how <laughs> how uh, complicated they got. I just I, know, wanna... I looked at the titles of the of the offerings. It was like I don't even know what that means. I so. do want to read some of the titles of the Zoom talks they did. One is this on the caliber of me talking to my right brain on my shoulder? Because <laughs> let's see, let's see. Okay. Uh, so one was called nominal spatial morphology in East Caucasian languages. Totally. Um. Another was called The Encoding of Evidentiality in East Caucasian Languages. (laughs) Another was called Valency Alternations and Voice in Nak Dagestanian Languages. And so on and so forth. And so on Uh, and so forth. (laughs) Such forth and and forthwith. But listen, like, I'm looking at this. I mean, some of the videos uh, had six, eight hundred views. All of them have over a hundred, two hundred views. 
So anyways, well done. This was done by the Higher School of Economics. The actual YouTube channel, if you want to check it out, is it's called Linguistic Convergence Laboratory. Um, but yeah, is Props I, to them. I, yeah, I think it was a great kind of glimpse into their community and their field, what they do. And uh, actually a very great intro for our guest today. Indeed. Who maybe can put more into layman's terms. Uh, Some of these... Yeah, what valency alternations is. So, the, before we introduce our guest, Andrew, why don't you why don't you introduce kind of this the series that we're getting into here? Yeah, well, uh, like um, a lot of our kind of topics and, and interviews we've done, this really was birthed out of great feedback from our listeners, um, and uh, actually, one of our listeners who's from Dagestan. Uh, he connected me with several different foreign language learners of Caucasus languages. So, so foreign language learners, the foreign re- re- replies to uh, applies to the learner. So, learners who are foreign, not Caucasus yeah. or Russian, maybe or maybe Russian. No, not from Russia. Okay, so, yeah. non so ex, expats learning Caucasus languages. Yeah, and like he's like sent me their Twitter feeds. Um, some of them are more academic. It seems like some more for their own personal interest. But we really noticed this pattern that, especially in the linguistic field, uh, there's a lot of interest in learning and helping kind of develop and I think conserve conserve these minority languages in the Caucasus, especially in Dagestan. So for the, I'm just going to put this in for those of you who've been sitting on the fence this whole time. As to whether or not you're just going to take the dive and start studying <laughs> a Caucasus language, you're in good company. Come on in. It feels fine. The water's fine once you get in, right? Good, so. good small company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, who are we talking to today, Andrew? Yeah. Well, let's just uh, welcome him to the studio. Daniel Wilson. Welcome. Woo! Welcome, Daniel. Thank you. <clears throat> it's good to be oh. here. Calling in from what location on planet Earth? I am in Tbilisi, Georgia right now. So for those of you who have only ever read this word like me and think that it's just Tbilisi, which or maybe you've heard it said, this is the capital of the country, Georgia. There, it's not so. There's a little, you, like, there's, there's a way you say it. Say it again, Daniel. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if I'm saying it right, but... <laughs> My understanding is you say it Tbilisi. 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 Yeah, wow, emphasis, I've been pronouncing emphasize, it wrong. Emphasize that first I, Tbilisi. Tbilisi. It's like I can't even figure out what I'm saying anymore. So, all right. Well, Daniel, it's great to have you here. Um, so this is episode 98. Way back when, in episode 51, we... Just had a fantastic interview with Dr. Maria Polinsky. One of our uh, great interviews, I think. Absolutely. Um, she she shed light on a topic you and I could not have shed light on, that's for sure. No, we were groping in the dark. But she's a Russian linguist, um, has a really distinguished academic career teaching uh, in the United States, and um, really her specialty is in Dagestani languages. And she actually name-dropped you, Daniel, at the end of that episode as somebody who was interested in some of these smaller Dagestani languages. And lo and behold, here you are, 2021. 
And not great. only did, did she name drop, as we'll find out if, if we get to it, but she was instrumental in, in your life, Daniel, if I'm not mistaken, for how it is you ended up working with Caucasus languages, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a friend of mine sent me that episode, um, and uh, that was pretty fun. It was pretty fun to hear that, and definitely she was very instrumental in, in helping me um, come this direction, but then even subsequently. Um, the work that I've been doing since that time um, has been has been very helped by her and by her expertise, her and a few other um, linguists as well. That's awesome. So, Dr. Polensky, shout out if you're listening. Yeah. So, Daniel, why don't you give us a brief introduction, uh, who you are and what's kind of the, um, the general scope of the work you're doing? Great. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm from the United States. Um, I grew up all over the place. My dad was in the Navy. Um, and so I popped around a bit. Uh, I did, um, an undergrad and master's degree in philosophy and theology. And in the course of doing graduate studies in theology, started to learn uh, the languages of ancient Greek and ancient Hebrew, uh-huh. so that I could, you know, read the source text, the Bible in and, the original languages, and um, huh. and chicks dig it, <laughs> and that, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And so, in the course of that, I realized how much I enjoyed uh, languages and how much I enjoyed learning language, and um, just the the discipline of linguistics was really introduced to me at that point. And so when I finished that degree, um, I kind of thought that's the direction I should go. So I ended up getting another master's degree in linguistics um, and wow. then a PhD in linguistics. And so I the went fun to, just keeps going. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and so, yeah, so there was a, a Semitic scholar. She was the chair of the um, Semitics program at... University of Wisconsin, Madison, uh-huh. and I uh, really admired her work and I really wanted to study under her. And then she decided to move to South Africa, married another linguist, South African linguist. And so huh. I just followed her there and uh, did my... Like, was her husband okay with that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was my co-supervisor. So I got them both. Two for the price okay, of who's one. Who's this Good. guy? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for door. clarifying. Yeah. 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 No, <laughs> I wanted to study under her supervision. So she took me on as one of her students. And so my, my PhD was at the university of the free state in Bloemfontein. So, so we're not talking followed her on Twitter. I mean, you like no, yeah. got up and followed her to South Africa. Yeah. Wow. So you did, I mean, that's a serious commitment. You did your PhD in the country of South Africa. Incredible. And well, so that's sort of only half true. I didn't ever go. I only went to graduate. Ah. So I did not relocate to do my doctorate. And so everything w- with her gotcha. was virtual. And then we would meet at conferences. Um, and so it was a research only degree. So all my gotcha, coursework gotcha. was done in the master's program and then the PhD was, was research only. So, okay. Well, so you, uh, quarantining in 2020 was no problem for you. You were doing virtual way, way back when. Long before it was the it was original cool. virtual. Long guy. before it was cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. Wow. So, uh, from there now, uh, I know you were living in Moscow before you're in Tbilisi right now. <laughs> uh, but, uh, 
how did you end up, was it through, did you make a connection with Dr. Polinsky and she kind of introduced yeah. you to North Caucasus you, languages? Because your, your PhD, what was your thesis? Sure, sure. Lay yeah, it on so us. I left that, left that part out. So my, um, my linguistics training is in formal theoretical linguistics. And so essentially asking the question, how language works in the mind. And so um, the language that I was most familiar with that, at that point was ancient Hebrew. I got, I got interested in theoretical linguistics in my MA and doctoral program. And so I wrote about um, the, my book is called Syntactic and Semantic Variation in Copular Sentences. Uh, insights from classical Hebrew. So, if you get to know Daniel, you'll just get to know this phrase "copular." What was it? <laughs> copular, copular sentences. Copular sentences. Clauses. It comes up. It becomes like the you know, like when someone refers to a relative over and over. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's your third uncle. Okay, right, right, right. It's like, right. oh yeah, yeah, copular. That's your thing. That's your, yeah. Okay, okay. Great. Essentially, so just essentially, I was. Um, I was exploring the way that uh, statements of existence, anything that uses the to be verb or in Hebrew, in which case when it, it doesn't appear, it's a verbless clause. And so all the different um, ways that that um, for existential sentences and sentences about existence, how that works. And um, it there are a number of different debates about how language works in the mind and how you should study language. And so my research was kind of just one small piece to that that larger debate and larger discussion. And so how I got involved in Caucasus <laughs> studies was I was, you know, so one of the, the, one of the ways that you answer questions in this kind of more formal theoretical approach to language is you need native speakers that you can ask questions about their mm -hmm. language. Well, I was having a really hard time finding native speakers <laughs> of, of ancient Hebrew. Of ancient Hebrew. So um, <laughs> I needed to work in um, some other languages. And Which of Endor could have helped you in this? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and so I um, I met Masha um, Maria Polinsky at a conference in the U.S. And huh. I, you know, I had looked at her work. I had cited her work in my own dissertation, and I had looked at her work on says and it, it just the the amount of complexity of this language is an absolute playground for folks uh, in my field. And so I just wow. asked her about further work that needed to be done and, and everything. And so she brought up this dialect of Sagada and uh, maybe it's its own language. Maybe it's just a dialect. And then she invited me to come here to Tbilisi with her for a conference that summer. So I came um, and met a few other people, fell in love with the Caucasus and thought, yeah, this is this is the the direction for me. So, uh, all right, we need to we just need to just uh, back up the the reel for a second. You you dropped a couple things that we haven't quite introduced yet. So the first one was says, which sounds yep. like the English word says, mm -hmm. and so that sentence could have been confusing to people who aren't familiar with this. So will you give us the the two penny tour of of says and sagada? Just kind of orient us. Do people say two penny tour? Like, no, they don't. I was say? trying to. Okay. I was fine. I'm look. I was looking for an idiom, a dime, nickel to nickel. What is it? Nickel or dime? there's some amount of coinage that refers to a quick, cheap tour. We make up. We make up one phrase per episode. Daniel, <laughs> oh, so that's, okay, that's the one. one. No, okay. my friends who who have who have been living overseas, their idioms are just are just destroyed. You know, mm -hmm, I mean, they they, mm -hmm. they try and put them together. In fact, I keep trying. Maybe I'll dig them out so I can read you some of the idioms that get. Anyway. <laughs> 
So, what is the tour? If you know how much the tour costs that I'm referring to this idiom, then <laughs> please email us or or post uh, on our Facebook. But okay, yeah. So, um, says is a language T S E Z in the North Caucasus, um, huh. spoken by roughly twenty thousand people, um, give or take. I'm still counting, um, <laughs> and they. Um, it's part of the Tzedek language family, which has five uh, languages in it, and um, the 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 diversity in, among the the dialects of Tzedek is really not that significant. There's a handful of villages uh, where they speak this language, um, but there there is reference to this other village called Sagada. Um, that is highly divergent from the other dialects of Zez. Huh. And so that's, it was studied in 1963 by a Georgian linguist a little bit that has given us um, until now almost all that we know about it. Um, and so Masha, when she you know, said, we, we still don't know everything about this dialect slash language, um, someone needs to do work, I thought, well, I could do the work if, if somebody can introduce me. And, um, wow. So. And so, so I did, I started that, started that project. And so, um, there are about uh, roughly 800 speakers of this dialect called Sagada, um, historically two villages where it was spoken, Sagada and Mithluda. Um, and, uh, now they're, you know, some of them are down in the more lowland areas. Um, so let's clarify, you mentioned Caucasus, but this is in the mountains of Dagestan, correct? This says yes. language family yes. of languages. Mm-hmm. So what's the uh, region of Dagestan it's in? It's in the Tsuntinsky district. Um, Tsuntinsky. Tsuntinsky. Yeah, is that the farthest southern westernmost? It is the it is if you look at a map of Dagestan, it's that big um, sort of hump looking thing that goes into Georgia. So it borders Georgia. Yep. And uh. um and South so, of Sumadinsky. And I that's mean, right. that's, that's literally, it's probably the most difficult region in Dagestan to get to from the oh, Russian yeah. border side. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, right, I, have a, I know yeah. we have a lot to, to cover. Daniel. So this is, I'm trying to just figure out how, how, what this might, what this could mean. This is not at all a question of, in reference to the importance of uh, a people's language, inherent you know, value and worth of their language and of their culture. Academically, when you're looking to see if Sagada is a dialect of says or its own language, mm-hmm. my mind is going either, and this is my question, is it important just because it is, and look, here's another language, or is there... Is it sort of like studying bugs in the rainforest? Like, might you find out something about language altogether that was previously unknown? I mean, in which direction is it, you know, the, the interest? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yes, uh, studying any language um, uh, and preserving languages, I think, is, is, is extremely important. I, I've heard, actually, it, it compared to any time... Um, anytime a language dies or anytime a, a language goes unstudied basically um, and then and then passes away it's like someone just dropped a bomb on the Louvre um, wow. because wow. all of the culture all of the beauty all of the art all of the history all of the songs all the folklore all that made that culture that culture is now gone for all of humanity and and we don't you don't mm. recover it and so that's um, uh, yeah so that's so 
finding out about this language, studying it, no matter how few speakers there are, um, it does. It, it, it enables us as humanity to find out more about ourselves um, and to learn to appreciate uh, what's, what's possible in language, not, not just in language, but in culture as well. Wow. Great answer. Thanks, man. So, uh, Daniel, you said says it's a family of languages, the Tzedek family of languages. You said there's five, right? In that family of languages. That's right. What are the other languages? So the other, the other languages you've got Beshta and Hunzib, um, that are more closely related to each other. And then you have Tzez and you have Chinook and you have Kvashi. And so, and then each of those languages has some degree of variation among the dialects within each of those. Wow. Um, and so there, it's not uh like those are, um, you know, exactly the same within each one of those because you do have variation. Do they, uh, I mean, are these the kind of things like a couple of years ago, I drove on a tour and through the mount from the mountains of Chechnya into Dagestan, the Botlik region. And, uh, we were talking some people who are, uh, uh, Anditsi, the Andi language, mm-hmm. and they told us they were their own unique language. But then when we got deeper into Dagestan, we were talking to some Avars and they were like, well, Andi is like a sub group of the Avar language. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, is, is the says language, are these all distinct from the rest of the larger languages in Dagestan or are they, do they kind of come under them at all or how does that work? Or would they, everybody say something different? Yeah, no. And unfortunately the, um, says has been lumped in with, um, Avar for, for a long time, but it is a very unique and distinct language. See there, there, I think, uh, Masha covered this in, in her podcast. I listened, I, I re-listened to it. Um, she covered that, you know, you have these, um, for, for a long time, uh, the policy was to lump them all in, right. Because there are some similarities because they do trace back to a common ancestor. You have the Avar Andi Tzezik group, right. Of not Dagestanian uh-huh. languages. Um, mm. Uh, and so they, they do share some commonality. They show a common an- share a common ancestor, but they're, they're completely mutually unintelligible. Um, and there's, there's not just language difference, but cultural difference as well that, mm-hmm. uh, and so they themselves, when you talk to them feel, um, you know, that distinction. And, and so, um, so yeah, they, they, they borrow words from each other quite commonly. Um, at least the, uh, my friends who speak says, um, native speakers, they, uh, typically speak of R as well. Um, uh-huh. but, um, but it's a very clear change when they speak of R from when they're speaking. That really touches on, I think a huge dynamic in issues of culture, language, and, you know, is who says, and, it, you know, depending who you ask. Yeah. So just like you said, when you ask the Andi, they gave one answer. When you get into more lowland Avar, they give another answer. And it really is an important question. I think why it it's one reason that doing scholarship and doing the research and giving voice to individual groups is yeah. so important because it, it, you know, it adds to, at, at least adds to, um, this the the conversation or or the the answer of of says who you know well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, no pun intended says yeah. who <laughs> it's just it just came out it's natural man no, that's a good so point. Uh, Daniel I mean I was just looking at a map I really think that Suntiski region of Dagestan it's got to be one of the most 
difficult places geographically to g- actually get to in the world with how deep it is in the mountains. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine there might be only two or three crazy bumpy mountain roads to even enter that region. Have you been up there? I mean, tell us a little about your experience. Right. No. So unfortunately it, it is quite difficult and I've not succeeded um, to get there. Wow. <laughs> not yet. Um, and so I've been dependent upon um, interviews with um, na- native speakers who have lived down into the lowland areas. Gotcha. And so, um, so yeah, so I've been in the cities that are just below uh, the mountainous areas, but my hope is, and of course, you know, my friends are, are um, inviting me to go with them and uh, COVID disrupted a lot of that. My hope was to do a lot of that this summer, um, but, but wasn't able to get up there. So. Okay. So uh, tell us a little about like the state of that says language today. You, you mentioned the family of languages has, uh, or you said says has 20,000 speakers and Sarag, Saragada. Sagada has 800, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, is it being spoken f- in homes today up in that region? What about like written form? Tell us a little about that. Yeah. So most of the literature that exists is what, what Masha did, uh, Masha Belinsky and then Bernard Comrie, who's also a very well-known linguist who's, who's worked on this language. Um, with the, and, and really the, the ones who did most of the work are, are my friends, Arsen Abdulayev and uh, Ramazan Rajabov and a handful of other guys who are um, native speaker linguists themselves. These are these are uh-huh. guys who have went on and gotten uh, multiple degrees in linguistics, and they do all the heavy lifting for writing and um, uh-huh. and doing doing quite a bit. And so they are they're activists for their language. They are doing um, a lot to preserve it. Um, the time I spent with them at their homes, they're speaking it with their children. Um, unfortunately, the education system. Um, in Dagestan doesn't have them studying their language yet, but actually just, I think this last week or a week or two weeks, they have actually met with, uh, the powers that be to receive funding to start doing more development, um, and even requesting Uh that it be taught in their schools. And so, you know, from, I think grades one through four, they, you know, they, um, they're, they're speaking their own language. Um, they're not studying it formally. Uh, but then after that, they start learning Russian and, and focus on yeah. that primarily. Um, and then typically they'll study Avar as well. Uh, but this, uh, I watched an interview with a guy who is kind of the leading um, activist to try and receive funding to develop the materials um, and the the um, the stuff for teaching uh, the kids their own language in, in schools and classes and stuff. So, and I, I mean, there's some of my friends on Facebook are sharing pictures of new schools going up in some of the villages up into the, in the mountains. And, uh, there's a lot of activism for preserving the language and, and a lot of people who are doing it and they're, they publish, they, they write poems all the time in their language, um, music and, um, um, so yeah, there's a lot of momentum for preserving and celebrating the language and culture. Daniel, I'm going to ask you to send Amazing. us any links you have to just, if, if you have any, you know, where someone could go and get a sample of Sezik music or language. Yeah. You can do it later. Think about it. Uh, we'll put them in, show, in the show notes uh, because wow. I'm sure people would love to hear that. Absolutely. Would, sure. So, I mean, that's really incredible. You think about like really probably one of the, 
tinier language groups remaining in the world, they actually have native speaker linguists trying mm-hmm. to preserve the language within yep. Dagestan. Amazing. Yep. So speak a little, uh, it sounds like you work at a professional level kind of with the linguistic academic community, not only in Russia, but even in Dagestan. What mm-hmm. is the uh, linguistic community like in Russia and then specifically in Dagestan? Sure. Yeah. So I um, typically live in Moscow and kind of make it, make it, um, I was really warmly embraced by the the different um, institutions there, by the different labs. Um, this um, Higher School of Economics Linguistics Convergence Laboratory. Every Tuesday for a whole year, I was um, in that lab with those guys talking about um, all the different latest research on these Caucasian languages. Those are huh. some of my really close friends. I, I'm I'm a research fellow at the University of the Free State where I graduated, so they've. They've officially sponsored my program to, you know, research wow. Sagada. And so that's my position awesome. at the university. Uh, but the 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 academics in, in Moscow and, and the different institutions have been amazing. The Russian Academy of Sciences, um, the Institute of Linguistics is the one that supplied my visa. And um, they've been just really, really helpful, provided me a guide on my first trip down there to make the proper introductions and get me to the right villages. So, cool. I mean. It's been an incredibly hospitable um, atmosphere, um, and the linguists there, the the caliber of linguistic work is just is absolutely astounding. Um, so yeah, they wow. they're 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 good scholars, kind people, and it's just an absolute privilege to work with the guys in Moscow for sure. Man, that's so cool to hear because you don't always hear that in academia. <laughs> no, no. No, well, I mean it's it's rigorous. I mean it's definitely a different type yeah. of atmosphere than than you would encounter in the states. I mean, I've been in plenty of these these seminars and um kind of holding my breath when they go at each other and say, "Yeah, that that idea is ridiculous. There's no way that that's true." And I'm like, "Wow, that was really strong. <laughs> that was really, <laughs> gonna hurt somebody's feelings, but it didn't seem to matter. They 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 uh they force you to work hard and make sure that you know what you're talking about. So, it's good. Cool. Well, and I love what I love about what the Linguistic Convergence uh, Laboratory has done on their YouTube channel is, I mean, what you just shared with us, there's no way anybody could know any of that about what a vibrant community this is. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, (laughs) news stations aren't writing these big pieces about Mm -mm. the the vibrant linguistic community of Moscow embracing these minority languages of Dagestan. Uh, So (laughs) I love that. Uh, I don't know if coronavirus forced them to do that, but they took their small but vibrant community and put it on YouTube and made it accessible to people. It's really awesome. And it's really cool to hear you share that as well. Um, Can you say, uh, speak to this, is there a pretty large amount of interest in the Russian linguistic academic community in Caucasus languages and specifically Dagestan? Um, I don't have exact statistics for you, but every, um, every region has its own department, um, within, within the, um, at least within the Russian Academy of Sciences, um, in the Institute for Linguistics. Um, so they'll have a whole, they have a whole department focused on, you know, languages in Siberia and stuff, for instance. And so, you know, there's, there's small, very active communities of linguists and scholars that have that have their language families that they study and they work hard for. And 
I don't know what the stats are and percentage wise, how many focus on Dagestan versus other parts of the world. But, right. um, you know, and they don't all just focus on languages within Russia. They're, they're focusing on African languages and, um, and even native American languages. There are some Russian linguists that work focus on native American languages as well. So, yeah, I mean, even those videos they released on YouTube, everybody speaks fluent English. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, you know, it's just the tip of the iceberg of like what right. they're capable of, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for sure. So, gosh, I, I want to talk more about the says. I mean, this is one of these tiny peoples, even people who know the Caucasus really well, there's mm -hmm. a good chance never heard of them, you know? I mean, right. the, all those peoples you just mentioned in that language family, who are they again? Says, Beshta. Beshta, Hunziv, Kvarshin, Chinook, and Says, yeah. So these are all small peoples. Are they all there native to the Tsuntinsky region in, yes. in Dagestan? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So just listeners for context, uh, I mean, I've been in the Caucasus six years now, never met one person from any of those mm -hmm. uh, yeah. nationalities. No, no. I mean, that is so high up there in the mountains. Yeah. Uh, I would assume those who have moved out of that region probably live like in the lowlands of Dagestan, like Mahachkala or Dirbent. Mm -hmm. Um Man. I just have a tip for listeners. If anyone is interested on where to get a little exposure to any of the people groups in Dagestan in particular, I can just tell you that if you do a hashtag search on Instagram, mm -hmm. huh. you will find very healthy hashtag followings for almost every region and mm -hmm. every language group mm -hmm. in Dagestan. I don't know how or why, but Instagram is the platform of choice in in the, that part of the Caucasus, and everyone has something going on there. So you can just look, like wow. hashtag says, and you'll find S stuff. Spell it, because it, it's not, doesn't, not spelled like it sounds. Yeah. Not spelled like you, it's like it says. It's but, you know, it would be helpful if you wrote it in Russian, right, or in Cyrillic characters, That's right? true. And so... We can, we can drop hashtags at the bottom of this, so too. Instead so instead of TS, you would just use the Russian character. So, right? so if you don't yeah. know where that is on your keyboard, it's the W. When can you we get that <laughs> hashtag, hashtag says, can we get that trending in English? There you I mean, go. Oh. Absolutely, <laughs> but and they're all there. I mean, they'll be in Russian and in and in um, Latin letters. So you'll, you'll get more if you if you if you do sure. sezi. Um, if, yeah. yeah, we can put that in. But even if you stuff. find that hashtag and then you find someone's post, they'll may have the hashtags in English and in that's Russian, right. Like. That's right. Daniel, forgive me, but I mean, would that be doctorate level worthy of your, the goal of your work? to be getting says to be tr that hashtag to trend on Instagram. <laughs> I think that the doctor is you're pursuing, you're pursuing different things than trending on social it media. It would be like TikTok <laughs> worthy yeah. to, you know, get it up yeah. there. Ooh, now we're talking. There, there are also a lot of Dagestanis on TikTok. <laughs> so awesome. I've, I've heard. So Daniel, uh, I want to bring this up. You actually, from what I understand, you founded your own uh, research institute. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little about that and uh, what are some of your goals uh, mm -hmm. in your work for the says language and for this people? Yeah, sure. Okay, so yeah, I started an institute called XRI. And really the goal behind it was I um, – the institute was started essentially to connect two communities those who work in academia, in higher education, and the development 
sector. So those who are trying to um, study of the world and those who are trying to change the world. Um, if we can bring those two together, perhaps we can do more and go further. We can make less mistakes mm. um, instead of, um, you know, our uh, ambitions for being helpful around the world sometimes ends up being quite harmful. Um, and I feel like paying attention to the research and looking at what, you know, academics have been doing um, could end up potentially, you know, keeping us from hurting communities where we're trying to help them. And so we started this, we started this institute with that in mind. Um, Can you give an example real quick, just out of, uh, you know, out of thin air, an example of help turning to hurt or where the conversations would help? So there's a a program where you can send a shoebox to, to, you know, poor communities filled with Uh soap and toys and um, you know, a t-shirt or something like that. And, um, you know, and it, it's pretty popular that we send thousands and thousands of shoe boxes every year to this thing. And there's a lot of uh, other programs like this one, but, um, it's been demonstrated that, you know, perhaps, um, so the, the guy, what happens to the guy every, every year, um, who's trying to make a living for his family selling soap and toys and, you know, clothing uh. and different things like that in the local economy. He goes out of business every year. It just it eliminates an option um, wow. for someone to actually help, you know, to have um, to make a living and uh, grow his business and support his family and that kind of stuff. And so just asking those questions and paying attention to what's been done out there in the research to make sure that, you know, our good intentions are actually achieving help on the other side. Um, right. And so that's what XRI is, was started to do. Uh, it's still pretty new. It's less than three years old. And uh, be, because my area of expertise, I'm, I'm not an expertise in all these disciplines, though we network with people who are, um, who are experts in their own uh, fields. My, since my expertise is in language and linguistics, um, that's really where we spent a lot of time. And so gotcha. our big um, – so I've been doing uh, plenty of projects, consulting projects in different parts of the world. Um, on language-related questions and development questions, uh, but our biggest initiative right now is in language technology, and so essentially bringing digital equity uh, to uh, small languages around the world. And so what that means is, you know, if you if you are trying to type in a keyboard, like for instance in in Dagestan, you know, you'll have the Cyrillic keyboard, um, right. but you know, if you if you try and type in any language using Cyrillic. Um, other than Russian, then it wants to autocorrect every word that you type. Now, mm. how how motivated will you be, unless you turn it <laughs> off, how, how motivated will you be to type in your own language on WhatsApp if it's autocorrecting every single word? Not um, motivated. No. no. And so what that does is that that kills the potential of the language to survive is because people aren't using it in the new mediums um, of common wow. communication. And so developing... Uh, keyboards and systems where you can have predictive predictive text and spell checkers in these small languages, um, building Whoa. machine translation systems. So like a, a Google Translate for these these small languages. Um, that's the kind of stuff we're building. And so we um, are working together with computer scientists and linguists to understand the structure of the language. And we're building machine translation, predictive text. And then also we're going to be moving into more um, pedagogical resources, things like, um, you know, a place for people to, 
to learn the language through, you know, computer programs and things like this and dictionaries so, and stuff like that. My main question is, will I be able to get Siri to give me directions in it says soon? I mean, that's sort of the upshot, right? That's that that's a that's a goal. <laughs> that is a goal. Okay. Um that that it would be really cool if if that was possible. Um right. and we, I mean I can get like a British accent, you know. I can even get an Australian accent. We're getting closer. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're right. It's a shame that you can get and, and, and this is a something I this is I use this to try and convince people why this is a worthy cause. You know, I can I can say, Siri, what does the fox say? Right. And it will provide me this funny joke from a song that was trending like what, 10 years ago. Right. Right. Um, But, you know, there's a mother out there who needs to say, help my kids choking over there. Can you help me, please? Um, And nothing's been built to for her phone to be able to communicate with someone, an aid worker, maybe who doesn't speak her language. And he and she's just got to, you know, she's not being helped at all. Because no one's paying attention to her language, and so we're trying to fill that gap. Um, and awesome. uh, we actually just yesterday we were we were trying to optimize the system a little bit better for it says. Um, and the, our current rate, we took some random poems off of Facebook um, and plugged them into the system we've been working on, and it it recognized I think around sixty two percent of the forms that we have oh. already. So we're we're chipping away at it and trying to get wow. better and better so that that this thing will be useful and that maybe we'll build a speech synthesis system where, you know, it Siri can speak says to you. So, you know, this is also, I'm I'm, I know this has occurred to you. It's not just uh, pragmatic so that X person can do Y task, but Mm -hmm. by, it's like any translation project, you know, if any literature is translated into a language, it requires an infrastructure and an investment that has major payoffs for a long time to come, right. way beyond that particular thing. So right. just you know, getting the, the com- computer to recognize it is one thing. That's sort of the immediate. But, but all the investment that will go into it, like you said, the dictionaries, the grammars, the, is going to pay dividends for that language for a long time, I would imagine. Well, yeah. And I mean, allowing these languages, the long tail of languages that have absolutely nothing built for them around the world, um, by building this and putting in this time, you're allowing them also to access and become participants in the global economy, right? There's so many things that they're left out of because their language is not connected to all the, all the things that we take for granted, huh. you know, I can right click on any website in Russian and French and Italian and German and say, sure. translate, and I can read it. Right. Uh, that gives me access to a wealth of information, um, that isn't accessible for those who haven't had the privilege of, of, um, scientists working on their language. Man. Gosh. Well, um, I'm going to use a phrase I've never said, but hear people say all the time on now, now, good on you, good on you, Daniel, <laughs> um, for this work you're doing. I, I imagine how difficult it is, this technology you're creating. I was just on a Zoom call yesterday. Uh, a non-native speaker was speaking English and Zoom, I didn't even know Zoom had this capability, but it was translating it into Russian on the bottom, like on the fly huh? or whatever. Yeah. But the translation was just brutal in Russian. And this person spoke this person spoke good English, but it was just with an accent, you know? Wow. Yeah. So I can imagine how difficult it is what you're doing with a language like that, uh, really creating from nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
Gosh, so cool. Well, Daniel, what about, uh, we'll kind of start landing this plane. I, I know we have some listeners who are interested in uh, the field of linguistics yeah. and specifically in Caucasus and Dagestani languages. Mm-hmm. Um, what are kind of some good steps they can take to pursue work in that field, mm-hmm. possibly even a career path, and then sure. resources to learn more and work more with Dagestani languages? Right. No, those are good questions. So uh, the first question is there's a handful of there's a handful of schools that have a specialty in Caucasian languages. And I think Masha mentioned one. There's Surrey huh. uh, University in the UK. Um, there's um, a school in Jena, Germany, um, huh. that also does a ton of work. In uh, They have a whole Caucasus studies program. And then plenty of, of schools in Russia, obviously. I think there's four in Moscow that focus that have a specific focus on Caucasian languages. Wow. And so there's a, there's a handful of schools if they're wanting, you know, to do the, get a professional degree um, in Caucasus studies and do that. Definitely you can apply and, and do that. And if you want to just start reading about Caucasian linguistics in, in some of these languages, there's a lot of open source publications, specifically grammars and academic studies that are available. Language Science Press has a brand new um, series on Caucasian languages. Um, and I think, uh, the first volume just came out on Mehweb Dargwa not too long ago. Um, huh. one of the, one of the Dargwa, uh, languages in the Dargwa family. And, um, they've got, you know, more and more coming out, um, all the time. So uh, I think the handbook, I don't know if it's out yet, but there's a handbook on, um, Caucasian languages, not going to say languages. Uh, that actually Masha Polinsky edited the whole thing wow. Um, wow. that it was just released this year or next. Yeah, it's this year, I think. And so anyway, there's a lot of really good content out there. Um, cool. And uh, yeah, you can read tons. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's really great. Uh, well, Daniel, uh, I'm going to leave you with our final question and an exhortation. We want a native says person, preferably an English speaker on this podcast. So oh. if not says, let it be Beshta or, uh, Kunzib from, or yeah, from Shadaga, or s- one of those, somebody okay. from the Tsutinsky region, that would be fantastic. We would love, uh, I, I know someone. Yes. There so you go. We're, we're going to, and he speaks good English. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So thank you for that. Listeners, be on the list out. Uh, be on the lookout and list, list out. I like the, that. People list are out. saying that yes. now too. <laughs> the list out. Um, uh, Daniel, what if there's one thing you could tell the world about the North Caucasus and specifically Dagestan and these peoples, what would you mm. like to say? Yeah. I, I think that probably one of the things that has impacted me the most is their. Um, I think we could learn a lot from them about their system of honor um, and the honor that they show towards uh, one another and to, to guests. Um, uh, uh, One quick story about that. So this um, I've been learning more and more about what it means to be embraced as part of like the network of, of relationships that you have. Um, So one my lead language informant essentially i didn't know what i was getting into but you know he gave me a special name um for um 
our relationship. I'm, I'm kind of the, the guest in his culture. And, um, we worked together for many, many months, even not, not just when I was there, but even through WhatsApp. And then he texts me one day and he said, Daniel, this month I have, um, I'm giving my daughter away in marriage. Um, and so I won't be available for our conversations, but I'm going to pass you on to my friend. And he gave mm. me the name and number of a friend who then contacted me. Um, and in that exchange, I learned a little bit more about them and, and, and found out more about it. But essentially, you know, it, it's um, it's so, so important for them to preserve their network of relationships um, and even make sure that nothing um, falls, that that relationship does not fall. So they check on me regularly um, wow. to text. And so. But for weddings and funerals, you know, those are kind of the main, those are the biggest sort of events in a culture, in their culture. So they have to, they have to say no to all of their obligations in order to focus their attention on that, but not, not let their network fall because that Mm. would be dishonorable. So then they passed me on, he passed me on to another guy who for that month I was interacting just with that guy. And then I was passed back um huh. to him in terms of so they're they're going to preserve that relationship at whatever cost to make sure that the network stays there and exists and and I mean you see it not just in that case but in so many other instances of how important it is to honor your relationships and your friendships um and I think that that wow. we have we have a lot to learn um in the west from hmm. uh from that type of culture so wow great Great insight. Thanks for sharing that. Um, <laughs> you actually just helped me understand a little better doing business in the Caucasus because I've kind of come up on right. this where, like you said, weddings, funerals, it's kind of the two big events mm-hmm. uh, in a culture. And uh, especially in some of my like tour related work, some of the people uh, we partner with, like when a relative dies in their family, they're just out for three days. There's no question about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and from a Western standpoint, especially from a client standpoint, if you're trying to like get something on the calendar, you want to pay them money for, mm-hmm. uh, it might not make sense. Well, can't you be flexible with the schedule or right. like find a little time slot, but it's so connected to honor, honoring the network of relationships. Like you mm-hmm. said, mm-hmm. um, that was really helpful hearing that articulated that way from you so really well said it it really across the board that you're right is practiced in the north caucasus there's so much more we could um man we could draw out from daniel so we're gonna have to have him back but we're gonna have to put a point on it for now listeners if you want to get in touch with daniel uh or check out xri we'll leave some links in our show notes and also any links that he gives us to like Sezik language resources so you can hear it, so you can hear maybe some poems or songs, anything like that. Uh, if you yourself, Art says, and are listening, we really <laughs> want to hear from you. Yes. And please don't be shy, uh, but be in touch either way. You can reach out to us on email, podcast at caucustalk.com. We've got a Facebook page. We've got a website. Uh, if you'd like to support our work from on our Patreon page, you can find us there as well. And better than all of those, come and visit. That's right. Daniel, thank you for the interview. It was amazing. Thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun to listen, a lot of fun to, listen to you guys, and now it's fun to be with you. So I appreciate that. Right, it's high time. Well, thanks again. And listeners, we will see you when you get here.